Chapter 14 Miss Macintosh, my jar. Miss Macintosh, my darling. I came in my wanderings to the grave of the black coachman. He who had used to drive upon a circular avenue, the carriage and the four white horses, taking for the constitutional my mother's father, his blind mother, his unmarried sister, his blind wife, and who had survived them all just by a shade, as my mother would point out to Mr. Spitzer, he who sat at the foot of her bed, his face almost extinguished at times by the darkness. Always my mother, at certain points of her illness, would come to the subject of the black coachman, whose grave, she believed, was hypothetical and changing, for she had not visited it, visited it for years, perhaps never had visited it, she had arranged, however, that the black coachman should visit her. She had requested that the black coachman be buried in this or an approximate grave by the sea, beyond the last beyond the last line of stunted blackened spruce and hemlock, there where the water swept up and covered the land with brackish ponds, with gleaming eyes and starfish and moon shells, there where, if her instructions had been followed, one might still hear in the reverberations of foaming clouded waters, the cloppings of horses' hooves, the grindings of forever-turning carriage wheels, the barkings of spotted coach dogs running beside the wheels. She would ask Mr. Spitzer whether he knew where the black coachman was now, whether, according to her specific instructions, he had been sunken into his grave with a carriage sinking, the four white horses plunging downward, their heads turned toward the moon-colored waters. If she knew this, she would know whether she was right in often hearing, on a sunken avenue, the clop-clopping of hooves, whether there might be at least this certainty in the midst of times trans-shifting and perceptions distorted and seas whirling and dreams repeating themselves as if they had another life. Mr. Spitzer was usually so careful to try to please her, his dark lady with her endless torments, but as to the black coachman's present whereabouts, he maintained his silence perhaps because he believed the answer would be ridiculous. Mr. Spitzer, his face almost blotted out so that he might be thinking his own thoughts, whatever these might be, would sit in the darkness which was filled with the broken gleamings of watery silver and gold and glass reflections of candle flames like fishes' eyes in the dark mirrors. And he would make no answer, perhaps because he had been over the disputed ground so often before. He perhaps did not understand why, after so many years, she would wonder where a dead coachman was, especially as she was so inconstant why she should now be concerned, at this late date, as to the black coachman's position in interstellar space, as to whether he had passed through the last postern gate, or was drawing up under a dark portuary. His own impersonal theory was that the dead were never angry, that they had attained, as he would have liked to have expressed it, perfect silence. My mother believed, though, that there were two worlds, just as there had been two Mr. Spitzers, both continuing, though one could not now be seen. There was always the invisible world which she saw around her, was there not? Her drug division provided more of reality than reality provided. There were still, of course, some beings missing, and they were visible. Where was the other Mr. Spitzer? This was, she believed, peering into the shadows, the one she had never loved, Mr. Spitzer, the lesser one, the lawyer with the broken law practice, the recessive mentality, the forgetfulness, the evasiveness, the taciturn regrets, perhaps only the imaginary clients or the dead such as herself, trying to locate her black coachman. 
Why should she not ask a question which it was not practical to ask, she being, as she knew, a poor, hallucinated invalid, obsessed by voices which could not be heard by Mr. Spitzer because of his dead ear, she being obsessed by the buzzings of the wild honeybees of Libya. Where was the black coachman so gallant? He had always offered her his hand. Where the black coachman was would make no difference, however, in the conduct of this world, for this world would be the same chaos, the same madness rolling like waves around her, our heads. Perhaps it was Mr. Spitzer's opinion, nor would there be any marked difference in my mother's life, same pale duchesses coming to tea, same mosaics cracking in the cold, and Boston continuing indifferent as before in these phantasms in her bedroom. My mother, however, felt quite otherwise, that the black coachman must be located even now, that everything must be regulated, really, and not left to thoughtless chance, as surely Mr. Spitzer must agree if he were absolutely honest. Nothing should be missing from the chaos, not one leaf that ever fell, nothing, unless it was Mr. Spitzer, and in some way or other it was the black coachman upon whom all things depended. It had been the black poachman who had already circled through endless chaos, driving the four white horses on and on, until the end was the beginning. If she could find him, she could perhaps find herself, the bewildered passenger. If she could not find the black coachman, how could she find her seeing eye dogs, her gondolas flitting like swallows through the dusk? The black coachman was a landmark to her, and she would remind sleeping Mr. Spitzer that the black coachman had been like the dead, flowering tree she had always passed a white seabird roosting on its blackened top. How very careless of Mr. Spitzer, her lawyer, if not her lover, to have misplaced the black coachman and the white horses, the family carriage. Her father, ruling all things with an iron hand here, had thought a great deal of the black coachman's future welfare, if not his present welfare. That was why she had asked long, long ago that the black coachman be buried with the carriage and the white horses, that he should even be wearing his livery, his high silk hat, his plume, his silver buttons, and his graves, so that he might crack the coachman's whip, driving the horses under the earth, the thin tree branches driving with him. Besides, the arrangement had been the coachman's idea, not hers. He had wanted the carriage and the horses, just so that he might continue his old employment, and she remembered quite distinctly that she had made sure of this provision in her last will and testament. Had Mr. Spitzer forgotten her dying wish? Had Mr. Spitzer, located all other lost heirs, cheated the black coachman out of his employment and inheritance and gone against her dying will? Mr. Spitzer, my mother said, needed not look so indefinite, so far away, his face blotted out by blackness, his eyes white and staring at nothing but the void. She knew him well enough to know that if he had followed out verbatim her instructions, if he had sunken into the grave, the black coachman with the family carriage sinking, the four white horses plunging downward into the abyss, their faces turned toward the foaming, swelling sea, should have made sufficient impression on his vacant mind that he, even he, with his absent-mindedness, should not have forgotten it, this grand funeral, not even after so many years, so many soundless tides. She would accuse Mr. Spitzer of having buried the black coachman in some other grave, and having sold the carriage and the horses after she was dead. The black coachman had complained to her only recently that this was so, that he was buried in another's grave, that someone else was driving his horses around the long, shaded avenue. No one could be so forgetful as Mr. Spitzer unless, underneath his indifference, he was really quite brilliant, a shrewd dealer taking advantage, she believed, of her weakness. Was she not weak? Was she not poor? To whom had she childishly, innocently entrusted her practical and financial affairs, her investments, her great empty house, her vast, undefined estate, 
her carriage, her horses, the black coachman, her jewels, to whom but Mr. Spitzer, who could not be trusted and was not so different from his brother as he sometimes liked to feel. Think how Mr. Spitzer would feel if he had been buried in another's grave, himself the food of worms, separated from all he loved, hearing the marsh bullfrogs croaking over his head, <clears throat> the songs of butterflies. How would he feel if he had been deceived by the living? How would he feel if he had been his dead brother, loved by her, yet never loving her? Mr. Spitzer would sit there in the blowing shadows, his face as gray as wet ashes, a slightly yellowed white rose or any tube roses, always in his buttonhole, his hands folded above his dusty high silk hat, which might have concealed another vapid, smiling face, even his brother's. Of course his brother had hardly ever smiled. About other and important things, he might try to make some lucid explanation, even concerning his brother, but not about this black coachman, a matter which, though ponderous, he had always protested, escaped his passive memory, over, already overwhelmed by shock. The black coachman had died, as he believed, several years after his brother's death, and at a time when he himself was still laboring under great shock, trying to adjust to a world which should not include his suicidal brother. What my mother would ask had been that black coachman's name. The name, like so many other things, had slipped her mind. A sieve which could not hold the water. But what was the name? Poor black coachman, whoever he was, wherever he was, she would recall, his shouting at the horses, king and queen, prince and spade, old and lazy things which should have been retired long ago. The black coachman had had no wages for years, even before his death. Money had meant nothing to him. As to the hour of his death, his expiration, she believed it must have been before Mr. Spitzer's loss of his brother. About that, she must be vague, too, often changing her mind as her mood changed, depending on what hour it was, or where she was in space, and there had been no cause. She was quite certain that she had wanted a grand funeral for the black coachman with the white rolling eyes. She had definitely asked that, instead of a winding sheet, he should have in his grave with him by the pounding sea, the carriage and the four white horses, and perhaps a passenger or two, so that she might still go driving, her dead self propped among the velvet pillows, and she would wear her large lace garden hat to shade her eyes, this instead of the coach's roof, her eyes staring at winged fishes and creatures of the waters and undersea flowers. She had always intended, of course, something more generous than a well-furnished grave. She had not been selfish and self-centered like Mr. Spitzer. Mr. Spitzer, being her executor and lawyer, knowing that she had no survivors, knew as well as she did that she had remembered the black coachman in her will, of course, in many wills, and when she was still living, too, and when he was still living, too. When there had been no way of knowing which would go first, herself or him, that in codicil after codicil she had provided for him in all respects, leaving him first one thing and then another her father's house, and her private jewels, and the three clavichords, the twelve grand pianos, the family portraits, the empty picture frames, her father's coin collection, the golden dishes, the fountain pen which, having a crystal point, wrote underwater, leaving him something different with every new will she made, always changing her mind and adding or subtracting. And when it had seemed she had outlived him, she who was dead, this jeweled corpse, had she not done away with her earlier scruples and left him everything? Or when he was dead, <clears throat> she had left him the falling leaves, the golden sands, the sweeping waters, the tassels of gold, the carriage and the carriage horses, everything that was hers, everything that was not hers, and she had not been unduly influenced or, co or, or coerced. 
and she had been possessed of all her mental faculties, feeling no great pressure. Mr. Spitzer surely remembered that, with one grand swoop of the fountain pen which wrote under water where eyeless fishes gleamed. She had left the black coachman everything, even her old empty gowns, her nightgowns, her hats. What better could she have done for the black coachman? Where was the black coachman now, and where was the carriage turning? And where were the four white horses, so old and fat? And where was she, thin and shivering? And where was the other Mr. Spitzer, who, she had no doubt, had prospered even in his grave? If she could just locate the black coachman, she could locate everything. The black coachman had known her since childhood, and he had known her brother and sister, who had not known themselves, and he had known both Mr. Spitzers, identical as twin buds, before the one was fallen away, and he had known which one was fallen. He had known the directions of the winds, the colors of the sky. Her eyes stared with tiny lights. She would become very angry, trying her best to break Mr. Spitzer's stubborn silence, to make him speak to her, even if only to comment on yesterday's weather. Why, to her simplest questions, did Mr. Spitzer not answer yea or nay? She knew very well, she distinctly remembered, as a matter of visual memory, and not of what he had explained, that it was his left ear, which was dead and buried in the garden of the dead. Why should he appear to lie to her? Why must he always look in the other direction, cupping his hand over his right good ear, shutting out, she had almost no doubt, her plaintive, beseeching voice, listening only to the roaring sounds which do not come from this world, sepulture traffic horns and fog horns, the withered leaves whirling in the winds of the past. Was he a vision or real? Where was his heart buried? She would ask, her eyes quizzical and smiling as with a new illumination, what were all these snowflakes falling against her cheeks, and where did all these flamingos come from? She was a face floating on waves, her dark hair streaming, and she had forgotten both Mr. Spitzer's, and she had forgotten the black coachman. At least she had forgotten him for the time being.